0: This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm also uh, the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? We do have a special introductory offer for each of those newsletters. Separately, call my assistant Claudio Bossi in New York, 718 457 1426, 718 457 1426, or go to miningstocks.com to sign up for our newsletters. We do uh, like to remind you to go to J Taylor Media, that's J A Y to access this radio show as well as all three newsletters that I just mentioned, and a number of other things that I do uh, as your host. Also, you can follow me on Twitter under the handle Silver Stocks. Well, we do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Um, today, our sponsors are Eurostar Gold Corp., Liberty Silver Corp., and Arroway Energy, Inc. Also want to thank each of you for uh, listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Well, today I am revisiting discussions I've had with G. Edward Griffin and Ron Paul, dating back to our very first show with Ed Griffin, that dates back to March 2009, and then with Congressman Paul in April 2009, May of 2010, and April of 2011. And finally, I will conclude today's show with uh, Dr. Ron Paul's recent questioning of Ben Bernanke about the secrecy of the Federal Reserve Bank and why he is so protective of that secrecy. The main reason the U.S. economy, and indeed the world economy, is in such trouble is because of the enormous amount of fiat money creation by the Federal Reserve and other central banks too, but led by the Federal Reserve, Uh, and these banks no longer are restricted by any kind of gold standard that holds down the amount of money that can be created. If there is one book I think everyone who cares about the prospects of freedom and liberty should read, it is Ed Griffin's best-selling book. The Creature from Jekyll Island. This is a book that tells you who owns the Federal Reserve Bank and what the real reasons for its creation was. If you understand that, then much of the dictatorial policies implemented by the Federal Reserve Bank and the U.S. government will start to make sense. The Fed has been designed to protect the wealthy at the expense of the poor and the middle class. And the government, of course, is now owned by large uh, corporate interests, including the Federal Reserve. Here is a discussion that I had with G. Edward Griffin back in March of 2009 that goes a long way in explaining uh, the Federal Reserve why it is in operation uh, and why it is to be feared. Thank you, Jay. Good to be here.
3: Uh, I believe the creature from Jekyll Island does, in fact, uh, address the very most important issue that we're trying to address in this radio show, and that is what is the cause of our current economic malaise? Why did we get ourselves into so much trouble? Uh, and Ed, that quite frankly is the reason that I'm delighted to have you on as as our first guest in this show. Um, for those who are not familiar with Ed's work, I want to just start out right away by suggesting that they go to his website, which is uh, realityzone.com. Is that right, Ed? That's right. Um, we have so much ground to cover, Ed, and we have so little time to do it here, and uh, less than a half an hour. I think that we can give maybe our listeners an introduction to what the creature from Jekyll Island is all about, but I'm not sure that we're going to be able to get into the kind of depth I would like to get into, but maybe sometime in the future uh, we can do that, I hope, or at least if I can just get people to read this book. You know, I tell people at all the speaking engagements that I'm I'm involved with, I always tell people they should really read this book because it really outlines, as I said, the heart of the problem, I think, that we have in our financial markets right now. Ed, uh, let me just, start out by mentioning that the, uh, the first chapter of your book is entitled The Journey to Jekyll Island. Uh, the book starts out by talking about this clandestine gathering of a group of men who boarded a luxury train, I believe in Hoboken, New Jersey, to go to this place called Jekyll Island off the coast of Georgia. And They were pretending to go uh, duck hunting, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Could you tell our listeners who these men were and why were they pretending to go duck hunting and what was the real purpose of their meeting?
4: Yeah, you're quite right. It's hard to cover so much ground in so little time. Um, the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, ostensibly, is about the Federal Reserve System, but uh it's much bigger than that. It's it's about uh, the nature of money. It's about economic laws. It's about uh, the abuse of uh, the power to create a nation's money and, and how that abuse leads to corruption in government and so many things that are now descending around our heads. And... uh but it ostensibly is about the Federal Reserve System, which is the mechanism uh, by which the United States creates money on behalf of the uh, government. And uh, the meeting to which you were referring back in 1910 at Jekyll Island was the seminal meeting where a small group of uh, the wealthiest people in the world are representing their firms, seven of them, went to Jekyll Island because it was uh, out of the beaten path. It was very private. And In fact, they even denied for quite some time that they went to such a meeting. It was a secret meeting, and it was at that meeting that they hammered together all the important details of what was to become the Federal Reserve System three years later when it was passed into law in 1913. Now, the the reason they did this in secret and uh, and, uh, denied that they were participating is a very simple reason. The Federal Reserve was offered to the American people as an agency of the federal government supposedly they thought it was an agency of the federal government and it wasn't but it was offered to them as a, an agency which was supposed to uh, put the reins on the very powerful banking uh, dynasties in Wall Street uh, the people of America were very concerned by this uh, huge power economic power that had coalesced into the hands of a, of a few uh, uh, Wall Street uh, investment firms they knew that the. the credit of the entire nation was wrapped up in a few banks and insurance companies they were concerned about that and they thought that the Federal Reserve System was going to put controls on those very wealthy powerful institutions and um, you know and make sure that they serve the purposes of the nation rather than the private purposes of the uh, of the corporations and so the reason for the secrecy is that the very corporations and institutions which supposedly were to be controlled by this legislation were the ones that were drafting the legislation. They decided that, well, okay, the, the people want uh, uh, some laws now to control our industry, so we're not going to wait for enemies of our industry to write those laws. We will do it ourselves, and we'll hide that fact. We'll let the people think that it was done by their noble politicians, when in fact we are the ones that are drafting it, and that's the reason for the secrecy. It's a very simple and an obvious and logical arrangement when you think about it. And the people that went there, the seven of them, were Nelson Aldridge, who was uh, the Republican Whip in the Senate, uh, one of the wealthiest men in the country, Uh, Abraham Piat Andrew, who was Assistant Secretary of the Treasury at that time, but he he came from a banking family, and that's the reason he was Assistant Secretary of the Treasury, because basically he had banking connections. Frank Vanderlip was there. He was president of the National City Bank of New York. Henry P. Davison was a senior partner of the J.P. Morgan Company. Charles D. Norton was president of J.P. Morgan's First National Bank of New York. Benjamin Strong was there. He was head of J.P. Morgan's Banker's Trust Company. And finally, Paul Warburg was there, who was a full partner in Kuhn-Loben Company, which was a representative of the Rothschild banking dynasty in England and France. And, of course, his brother, Max Warburg, was the head of the Warburg Banking Consortium in Germany and the Netherlands. Those are the guys that drafted the Federal Reserve Act. And when you look at the wealth which they held individually and which their banks and institutions held, according to estimates at the time, which we pulled out of the New York Times, was that they represented about one-fourth of the wealth of the entire world. Now, that was, in other words, the very banking cartel, the industry, uh, the uh, money trust, as they called it in the newspapers those days. Mm -hmm. That was the very money trust that supposedly the uh, Federal Reserve System was supposed to control, Mm -hmm. and they drafted the legislation. Well, now we jump ahead to today. What's the fruit of that? The reason these guys created the Federal Reserve System is so that they could use the uh, governmental power that that backed it to make sure that they would uh, enjoy a nice, handsome profit, no matter whether their businesses failed or succeeded. they knew that if their their businesses were probably going to fail because they were uh, they were uh, undergoing very unsound banking practices they were lending money they didn 't have. Uh, they didn't really concern themselves too much with the ability of the person to pay, or the institution or country to pay back the loans, because they knew that in in the event of a crisis, they could always go to the taxpayer, and get the taxpayers to put up the money to cover the losses. That was all started back in 1910, and you know, for years. People tried to tell the American people that this is what's going on, and you better look out because uh, you know, you're going to wind up picking up this huge bill. And nobody was interested. They said, ah, I don't believe that. Um, and, uh, anyway, we're living well, aren't we? Look at the prosperity. Mm-hmm. Well, now, here we are now in 2009, and it's finally coming down the way some of us have been predicting all these years. And now people are saying, well, what happened? Well, mm-hmm. how did this happen? How did we let this happen? Yeah. Well, they let it happen is because they didn't care yeah it didn't take an interest now it's uh, it's very 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 late
3: but Ed, the reasons given to us uh, you know constantly by the media has always been you know it's for our own good they're going to uh, they're they're going to uh, manage the economy they're going to they're going to be able to avoid uh, significant downturns in in the economy by uh, by having more liquidity by having this, the federal reserve being able to uh, to create lots of money um but you know that obviously isn't uh, isn 't working out too well, is it
4: well no that 's always been the argument from the very beginning back in one thousand nine hundred and thirteen when they passed the the bill. It was all to help America It was all to help you folks the the average person. we are doing this, the bankers are saying we bankers are doing this, and we politicians are doing this for you folks, not all we don 't benefit, do we Of course not. Uh, it's it's a bunch of nonsense it's uh, it's propaganda and it's just amazing to me that uh, the average uh, voter is uh, is so uh, politically illiterate mm-hmm. that they fall for that stuff over and over and over again they actually believe that the government is there to help them you know That's well what they, they Ed,
3: actually believe that well, Ed, you could say in a way then that the uh, uh, that the stated reasons for the federal reserve's creation has been a failure perhaps but but have, has the Fed looking at it from their own, through their own eyes, if you could do so? Have, has the Fed's real reasons for being created been a failure, do you think?
4: Well, oh, it's been a, a rip-roaring success. Uh-huh. The Federal Reserve has succeeded on every one of the principles which they set out to to, uh, to do back on Jekyll Island when they discussed the purpose of the Fed. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, it was to control the competition. They were, they were concerned over the arrival of new banks springing mm-hmm. up in the south and on the west coast of the expanding nation in those days, and they wanted to keep control in New York with the existing biggest banks. They, they wanted to be able to pass on their losses to the taxpayer. They wanted to be able to create money out of nothing so as to manipulate interest rates, which would drive people to the banks to borrow money at at uh, low interest rates, rather than for people to save money and do whatever they wanted to do, expand business or take vacations or whatever they wanted to do with money. Instead of saving the money, they wanted to bring the people into the banks to borrow money because the banks make money only when others come in and borrow. Mm -hmm. Uh, The banks really don't want you to pay back your loans. They want you to just keep those loans open forever like a credit card statement and just send in your interest every month.
3: Well, Ed, as I understand, you know, as the United States was a young country in the early 1900s, it was growing very rapidly, the the late 1800s, it was growing very rapidly, and there were a lot of very successful companies that were not really needing banks. They were actually growing from internally generated funds. That is, they took their profits and reinvested them so that the institutions, the the industrial companies themselves were actually, in a sense, banking interest, and they were crowding out the, the big New York, the money center banks. It was that then part of their reason was to avoid
4: that competition? Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying, yes. They, they did not want uh, private capital formation. That was almost a dirty phrase. They spoke about how can we how can we circumvent private capital formation as though it was an evil thing. They wanted people coming to the banks to borrow money rather than save it.
3: Well, We've heard this phrase recently in the mainstream media, um, privatizing profits. Socializing, uh, losses. And I guess that's, that's what they've been doing. But Ed, when we're talking about now, we're talking about not billions of dollars, we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars and even trillions of dollars of socialized. Losses that the common folks are being asked to shoulder—is that—is that what's going on here? And did yes, it,
4: I, that it, it all happen back in 1910? That, then. That's right. It's it's been going on for a long time, but it's certainly accelerating right now to the point where I, I think the cup is going to be full. I mean, there's there comes a point when you do have total socialized. Uh, government, socialized industry, socialized uh, everything, banking, health care, and so forth. Uh, you start off with 10% and then 15, 20, 30, 80, and so forth. At some point, you get to 100%. And uh, we're, I think we're very close to that. And, and these guys in Washington are, are laying out the, the roadmap to get us to that point in a very short period of time now. And when we get to 100%, I think people need to realize that not only are uh, is the economy totally regimented by government, but people themselves are totally regimented by government? It's- and
3: Ed, I think that it's true that uh, socialism doesn't really create wealth; it, it is a consumer of wealth. The capitalism really creates wealth. Uh, we're going to have to take a break here in a little bit. But one of the things I want to ask you about is gold and what what role did gold play? Gold has been the enemy of of, uh, of sort of the fractional reserve banking system that the uh, that the Federal Reserve has espoused. So. You know, when we come back, um, uh, maybe you could address that issue a little bit or or maybe get started on it right now for the next few seconds.
4: Well, yeah, uh, just to get started on it, uh, gold has always been the enemy of uh, politicians and uh, bankers who want the ability to expand, you know, create money supply out of nothing so Mm -hmm. they can can collect interest on huge amounts of nothing, literally. Mm -hmm. Gold has always been a discipline which they hate, And so there's a great propaganda war to convince the American people that gold is not a good thing. You should not have a monetary system backed by gold. And they're not quite sure why, but they've heard it so many times that Uh they just repeat it.
3: So I guess it would not be a gigantic uh, surprise to you then that uh, when the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, headed by Bill Murphy and uh, a couple of those uh, folks, the hard money camp, uh, really started to talk about this issue. Um, was that a surprise to you when you heard them talk about conspiracy on the part of the government and banks to to control the price of gold or at least to keep it from rising so rapidly?
4: No, it wasn't a surprise to me. I was just mad that it took them so long to get there (laughs) because that thing has been going on. The manipulation of the uh, gold supply and the price of gold has been going on for a long, long Uh time. But I'm sure glad that uh, that committee came into being because they had the expertise uh, and the knowledge of being able to figure it out and explain it.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
5: Eurostar Gold Corporation is re-examining well-known properties in Mexico, using modern exploration knowledge and tools to access the riches that others only dreamed of. Eurostar has announced positive drilling results on all three of its Mexican gold properties in 2012 drilling continues at the flagship El Antimonio property, where over 60% of Phase 1 drill holes have returned significant gold mineralization over wide intervals. Through its aggressive exploration strategy, experienced leadership and loyal shareholder base, Eurostar is poised to give new life to valuable gold resources. Visit www.euristargold.com for more information.
6: Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters
1: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network
3: Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm with Ed Griffin. and Ed, before the break, we were talking a little bit about gold. We just introduced the topic. Gold is a subject that's near and dear to my heart. It's been very kind to me. We've... uh, Invested in gold and gold mining shares over the last number of years, and it's uh, it's done very well. While the equity markets have fallen out of bed, gold mining has been a very, uh, the gold mining and gold itself have have been very very good for our portfolios. But I would like to get back to just asking you why it is that gold is such a problem for uh, for the Federal Reserve and for those uh, for for the establishment, frankly, right now.
4: Yes, well. There's a group of economists out there that uh, worship at the feet of uh, John Maynard Keynes, who was a well-known collectivist uh, writer and, and economic theorist uh, some decades ago. Uh, and Keynes called gold a barbaric metal, and um, Karl Marx picked up on that theme too. He, he thought that gold was a barbaric metal, and all of the collectivists uh, agree with that because they see that the ability to expand the money supply at, at will, the ability to just create whatever amounts of money may be required for whatever your scheme is, gives tremendous power to those who hold the ability to create the money. That's pretty obvious. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. Uh, but when a money supply is based on something which limits its growth, and certainly gold would be in that category, then these guys don't have the power to just manufacture money out of nothing. Like right now, Congress and the Federal Reserve would not be able to create these hundreds of billions and trillions of dollars. They just would not be able to do it.
3: Well, let me understand, Ed. They don't have the ability with a gold standard to redistribute wealth from the people that create it, the miners, the manufacturers, the inventors, the farmers, those people that actually create wealth to themselves. Is that what you're saying?
4: Well yes that's right uh, when when money is backed by gold or silver or anything else of tangible value uh, then its supply the supply of money always keeps pace with the growth of the goods and services within society mm-hmm. uh, there's a good reason for that we probably don't have time to go into all the mechanics of it but it has always always been that way um, and so that the the value of the 1 ounce of gold or silver uh, always has remained constantly, has been re- remained constant throughout those periods mm-hmm. of history where money was backed by gold or silver. Uh, just to give you a, a brief uh, example, if we had lived in ancient Rome uh, in times of Caesar and we had a one-ounce gold coin, we would have been able to spend it and buy a very nice uh, toga, a handcrafted belt, and a pair of sandals. That would have cost approximately one ounce of gold. Today, thousands of years later, if we have one ounce of gold. We can uh, exchange it for Federal Reserve notes, run down to the, to the clothing store before the value depreciates.
7: Yeah. And
4: we can buy a nice suit, a handcrafted belt, and a pair of shoes. So the value, the true purchasing value of one ounce of gold really hasn't changed in thousands of years Mm -hmm. because the amount of energy to produce that suit, that belt and that pair of shoes is approximately the same amount of energy required to dig out one ounce of gold from the ground and and purify it and put it into a coin.
3: I can tell you, Ed, it's a very difficult task. I've been down in mines a mile under the earth and the amount of uh, engineering and capital and so forth and expertise that's required to get gold from the ground is a heck of a lot harder, I think, than it is for these central bankers to create money out of thin air. Of
4: course, yeah. And so the, the, the politicians and the bankers who want that power to be able to create money out of nothing, to accomplish their political objectives or to collect interest on the money, which they go through the motions of loaning out, that's a tremendously heady uh, power that they have. They hate the idea of having a monetary system limited by the quantity of gold or silver which people can dig out of the earth. So that's the war, and unfortunately, the, uh, uh, the average American is not aware of that. Mm-hmm. He, he just thinks that, oh, isn't it nice that these nice people, these uh, elected representatives in Washington, are, are giving all this money away? Oh, and then they're going to help us?
7: Mm-hmm. And
4: they don't realize that they're giving money away that they're taking from the people in the first place, and they don't understand how they're taking it. Well, they're taking it, first of all, through taxes, but that's the smaller part of the picture now with these huge amounts that they're creating. There's no way they're going to tax the American people enough to pay for all of that. So, but they're going to get it anyway, and they're going to get it through higher prices, through inflation. It won't be too much further down the line, and the average guy will be saying, How come I'm paying $35 for a loaf of bread? Right. And they're going to wonder what hit them.
3: Ed, you know, it it has to be that way, you, you think, because there's trillions of dollars that the Obama administration is now promising to pump into the economy to bail people out or, to, or for one sort of works program or another, and the Chinese don't have that kind of money. Where Where is the global savings going to come from to finance that? I guess that's the issue, isn't it?
4: Yes, yeah, there would be no global savings. They're going to get this from the sweat of the average worker. That's where it's all coming from and always has come from when these collectivists get hold of the political machinery and start spending more than they have. Then it starts to ricochet down, and eventually it hits to the average guy, the worker who's out there working for a living, and 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 he pays it either through taxes, direct taxes, or indirect taxes called inflation. That's the only place it ever comes from.
3: Ed, uh, I'd like to spend just a couple of minutes. We've got about four minutes left. I'd like to spend a couple of minutes to talk about housing. I know that... You talked in your book about housing debacles in the past, about how the government has intervened in the housing market, and now we've had the biggest housing bubble that we've ever had, uh, and it's pulling down the whole economy, obviously, as, as you know, millions of homes cannot be financed. People don't have the wherewithal to, to fan- finance them. Would you care to just comment a little bit on the current housing situation, and does this thing have a lot further to go before we see the bottom of it?
4: Well, that second question is is one that I wouldn't touch uh, with a 20-foot pole because uh, I don't know how much further it has to go, Uh but I can say in general that the housing market was greatly uh, inflated or bubbled, as they say, and what that means is that uh, the number of dollars that were being spent for a piece of real estate were way out of proportion of its uh, underlying value when measured against other things and the reason that came about is because of manipulation of the credit markets, the ability of the Federal Reserve and some of the other agencies which were politically supported to redistribute uh, credit unnaturally into certain favored areas and the home market was one of the favored areas. They made mortgage rates ridiculously low and that lured people uh, is like luring a fish to grab a, a worm not realizing that there was a hook underneath the worm. (laughs) It lured people to snap at those great interest rates and they said, I can afford that monthly payment and they moved upgraded into their housing and first thing you know they're living in semi-palaces and they think this is wonderful, not realizing that they had already been hooked for the contraction which was destined to come because everything eventually seeks its own level and uh, So what we're seeing now is a, a return to realistic values, um, and all the bubble is being squeezed out of it, or all the water is being squeezed out of the sponge, or however you, whatever mm-hmm. analogy you want to use. What the point will be when it finally is at the realistic level, I don't know, but I suspect it has a little more to go before it really is uh, realistically compared to other things that people can buy with that same dollar.
3: There's going to be a, quite a bit of pain, then, you suspect, for the for the economy, for, for most people in general.
4: Well, I think so. I, I believe so, uh, and I almost hope so, not because I want the pain, but because if we don't have the pain, there will be no change. Uh, if we don't have the pain, this, the present policies will continue, and I know what lies at the end of that road. The end of that road will be a completely totalitarian system mm-hmm. where you and I will not only have anything uh, any money to buy things with, but we'll also have no freedom to do anything with anything we bought in the first place. Mm-hmm. That's ed, where I, it ed, ed. and that worries me even more than the economic crisis.
3: That's the worst thing, as Ron Paul has has said. If we have our freedom, we can recover. But if we lose our freedom, it's very very difficult to recover economically. Exactly. Ed, have you got some ideas about what people should be doing, either for themselves or to try to help uh, steer the country back in the right direction?
4: Well. The reason I formed Freedom Force International is because I wanted to deal with that very question. I don't think anything is going to change, uh, Jay, until we change the uh, thinking Mm -hmm. of the people who go to Washington, Mm D.C. Right now, most of those guys are on the gravy train, and they're thinking about collectivism, they're thinking about power, they're thinking about you know feathering their own nests. We need some real Americans in there that think about the nation first, who understand the basics of economics and uh, money and uh, who have an ideology that is not uh, uh the same as communism or socialism or nazism yeah. I mean what we have been following in our own government of late is so close to those ideologies that we have dreaded and fought against in the mm-hmm. past and we're adopting the very principles here at home we need people in Washington that are going to take a return to the principles of liberty and freedom and individual worth that we used to have in this country. If we can do that, then we can dig out of any kind of a mess that comes along. But if we continue down the path that we're going, then I don't think we're going to dig out. And that's the reason we created Freedom Force International, is for people who want to help in that reversal process to come on board and work together with us.
5: Excellent ad. we're Eurostar Gold Corporation here, so is re-examining well-known properties film. in Mexico, using modern learn? exploration knowledge and tools film. to access the, the riches that others company. only dreamed of. Euristar has announced positive drilling results on all three of its Mexican gold properties in 2012. Drilling continues at the flagship El Antimonio property, where over 60% of Phase One drill holes have returned significant gold mineralization over wide intervals. Through its aggressive exploration strategy, experienced leadership, and loyal shareholder base, Euristar is poised to give new life to valuable gold resources. Visit www.euristargold.com for more information
6: want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity a successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters
1: from the boardroom to you voice america business network
0: you're listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor, at gmail.com. Now, back to our program.
3: Welcome, Ron, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times.
7: Uh, thank you, Jay. Good to be with you.
3: Uh, Dr. Paul, this show is really about trying to identify the real causes of America's economic malaise and, and then finding solutions to help individuals uh, protect their wealth and increase it if possible. And then also, though, from a bigger picture, trying to find ways that America can get back onto its, uh, back to its constitutional roots, which I know is a very, a very big concern of yours. But before we get to those issues, I just want to thank you for running for president. I don't know how many people that I was surprised to learn were voting for you or said they were, and they were going to, even though it meant they had to write your name in. Uh, my wife, uh, uh, the wife of a banker friend of mine, for example, a Jewish-Russian immigrant who works with my wife at a major financial institution in New York, said that he is was voting for you, and he saw a lot of dangers that uh, that he recognized from his days in Russia. Mm Creeping into our our, uh, political environment. A college kid down the block from where I live had a Ron Paul sign in front of his house. And my son's roommate uh, at St. John's College in Annapolis, who I thought was somewhere left of Karl Marx, was a a real big supporter of yours. So I think that you have given us a hope of returning to the values that made America great. So I just wanted to say thank you for that.
7: I appreciate we, that very much. I think that makes a point that the Constitution brings us together, whether we consider ourselves left or right, and that's what I think is so neat about our, our system, except we're disappointed that we don't follow it.
3: Yeah, indeed. Uh, before we get to the real issues um, of you know, the central, central issues that this program is involved with, I just want to ask you, well, how do you feel about your presidential bid?
7: I feel I feel good about it uh, but uh it it's sort of a mixed feeling because uh a lot of people were um uh, y- you know uh, upset that I just didn't continue in the process and do it as an independent uh-huh. well, there's always always some enthusiasm you can't satisfy everybody's enthusiasm yeah. and there were shortcomings in the campaign that was uh my fault and others but overall I think I was Uh, utterly shocked, just as you were sort of expressing surprise. Some people uh, gave support that you never would have dreamed of. That made me feel very good, that uh, a lot of people would tell me that they had never been involved in politics before, never voted before, and they didn't trust anybody. And uh, so I think uh, that was exciting. But... Probably the most interesting is the fact that the young people are still interested. young people still come to Washington, they'll come to see me, and I'm invited to campuses all the time. So that gives me hope for the future because the young people are willing to, to look at the problems and maybe do something about it. The people locked in the system, I, I don't expect a whole lot to happen. And mm-hmm. People that are in Washington right now, they've created this mess, so I don't expect them to solve it
3: indeed uh i mean the fact that there are so many young people uh, i would say the fact that you're not so easy to get a hold of anymore Ron and talk to we used to talk to you Al Corlin and I almost every other week and i think i take it as a good sign that that you're very difficult to get a hold of it that you're on national television frequently and that the word is getting out there i think you have begun an educational process that is essential to our country if we are going to get back to the to the very basic values that made us strong and the freedom that allows us to, to be who, who God has created us to be uh, with our individual talents and so forth. Well, let's jump into more of the, the basic issues of what this program is about. Uh, first of all, we hear comparisons these days about our current recession. Some people are even suggesting that it is, in fact, a lot of mainstream people are suggesting that uh, what we're going through or what we're entering into could be as bad or even worse than the Great Depression. Do you think that is overstating our current crisis?
7: No, I don't. I think that we're barely into it. And I think the bubble was bigger than ever. And it's probably something the world has never faced before because we had a single fiat currency, the dollar, that had the privilege of uh, inflating for many, many decades. And it was used as the reserve currency. And so, therefore, uh, we affected the whole world and uh, caused so many dislocations. So if other countries took our dollars and believed that they were very rich and used uh, that as their reserves, they then inflated. In many ways, uh, China is as vulnerable as we are, although they worked hard, produced goods and services, and they saved a lot of money. Uh, but it, but they got paid in paper. So that's worldwide and that system has collapsed. I think the post, uh, Bretton Woods system that, you know, started in 1971 when Bretton Woods broke down, I think that system is done. I don't think they can repair it. They're pretending that they can. The dollar, uh, which has been used before is still used and people are clinging to the dollar. But, uh, the financial system that, uh, it was based on, it's gone. And I believe that the dollar will go too at, at this rate, um, unless something is done radically to change it and to, uh, and, and to restore confidence in the, in the dollar. But for now, uh, it's, it's limping along, but I think, uh, uh, the debt has not been liquidated. The malinvestment has not been liquidated. We're doing all the things that, uh, we did in, uh, in the depression time to delay the correction, we don't believe in free markets liquidating bad debt. Uh, we just prop it up. And, uh, I think we're destined to the story of the dollar. I mean, just look at the trillions of dollars that have been created in this past year. I mean, it just can't happen. I tell people, if it does work and I'm wrong, that means Americans never have to work again. You know, all we have to do is get on the gravy train, pass out dollars and tell everybody to produce for us and we'll pay you for it.
3: Doesn't seem logical, does it? And you know, PhD in economics have a hard time grasping that, Ron. Yeah. My, my mother, who went to, through her sophomore year in high school, understands it. And when she saw you, uh, some of your remarks on television, she says, you know, Jay, he's the only one that makes any sense. So it's sort of ironic that people with the highest education sometimes have the most difficulty in grasping the most basic truths. Uh, you, you mentioned the post Bretton Woods era in 1971 of course that was what I call Bretton Woods too because that's when Nixon took us off the gold standard initially we had an international gold standard when Bretton Woods was first set up is this the first time in history that we've that the whole world has been on a fiat system a non-gold backed or a non- uh, metal backed uh, currency system
7: it's the only one that I know of and and it's uh, and as pervasive as it has been I don't think anything ever comes close I mean, in the, in the very, very old days in, in Roman times and when the world was much smaller, uh, they they had a lot of disruptions. But it wasn't quite as uh, extreme because their inflation and distortions would become with maybe clipping coins or uh, diluting the metal and, and things like that. So there would uh, still be
3: some metal value behind yeah, the currency, behind and, the paper.
7: and And this time... Uh, I guess we fooled a lot of people for a long time, but we're not fooling them anymore. So that's why people finally found that this was a total house of cards, and the house of cards has collapsed. And now we have to look for the foundation. But the dollar, which I consider a very sand-like foundation, uh, it's not going to work. I don't think we can rebuild this uh, on the dollar again, even though people have parked a lot of money in the dollar. But I sort of think what's going on is, the Fed creates trillions. We're not allowed to monitor them. They're secret. They're beyond any uh, any type of transparency or uh, auditing by the by the by the Congress. I think they pass that money out to foreigners to prop up the dollar. You know, to keep the system going, believing that they can rebuild this. And this week, uh, the G20 is meeting. I think. Uh, there's a bunch of them there that think they're going to patch it together uh, just by producing more money. The, the uh, IMF asked for uh, you know $250 billion, and we're arguing, no, that's not enough. They need $500 billion. I mean, the whole thing just is so bizarre. That's why I just don't think this, the answer is going to come very quickly.
3: Ron, uh, the Treasury Secretary of FDR, in fact, uh, said that admitted that the, that the new deal was a, was a total failure he he mentioned after 8 years of, of the FFDR's policies that in fact unemployment was as high then as it had been 8 years earlier and he mentioned that we had this huge amount of debt to boot why in the world if we look back and you know at the 1930s are we following the same in the same footsteps
7: boy you know that's that's the major question and i think it comes from the uh, delusion of keynesians Although Keynesian came in vogue in the thirties, uh you know the Keynesian approach of Bernanke and his talking about uh you know to Milton Friedman by saying um, you know you were right, Milton Friedman, you were right, the Fed caused the problem, mm. but, you know we won't we won't do it again, so to them, they are not repeating it, and I guess we have to concede to them that they're not repeating. Everything, they're just doing it more excessively. Yeah. You know, so yes, they, to us, it has, they haven't changed a thing. So that's why, uh, the, they're inflating uh, much, much faster than they... Even though they tried to inflate a lot in the Depression, it, it didn't work. But they propped up prices and salaries, and they used government programs and more regulations, and just went on and on. So we're doing all those things in the government management, uh, but the, the big difference is... Uh, that in their minds is that they uh, they are massively inflating more than they ever did in in the 30s. But to, to answer the question on why do why do governments and peoples repeat the same mistakes? You know, sometimes that's just sort of a mystery. You'd think they'd wake up.
3: Indeed, uh, you know, Ed Griffin, um, um, who is the author of The Creature from Jekyll Island, was our first guest on this series and. You know Ed spoke of the Federal Reserve. he said that the Federal Reserve, which was created in nineteen thirteen uh has certain stated purposes that uh have been a total failure but on the other hand, if you look at the unstated purposes of the Fed that is to bail out the banks and the the, the very wealthy uh banking interest in the United States, it's been a total uh, it's been a total success uh I know that you've introduced legislation i think almost every every term in congress to um to get rid of the Federal Reserve in fact. Um, and, and, and that would be on constitutional grounds, I believe. Is that right, Ron?
7: Yeah, it would be because it's not authorized, and uh, it's been argued over the years. But uh, every time it uh, goes to the courts, the courts always rules in f- favor of the uh, central bank, and that's how, uh, how we got here. And the bill that I have that would get rid of the Fed, it's there to make a point. Uh, even I don't advocate getting rid of the Fed tomorrow, mm-hmm. but the reason... Uh, the reason that we have to talk about it is the Fed may end or the dollar system may end. And if it ends catastrophically, you know, because of the rejection of the dollar, that's a lot worse than coming to our senses. The, another bill that I've just recently introduced is, I, I think, the proper interim step, and that is to open up the books uh, to allow us to know exactly what the Fed is doing. Mm. Everybody has heard in the news how there have been lawsuits filed against the Fed. Uh, to tell us exactly how much money they created and where where they sent it. And they just stiff us on it. They just say, no, we don't have to. And they're right under the law. Mm. And I've told, I've told them in person, you know, in committee, I say, you know, under the law, you, you don't have to, but under the Constitution, you should. Yeah. You know? And they, they don't tell us a thing. And my bill would be to be able to audit the Fed and repeal the portion of the code that says that they're exempt from any auditing.
5: Eurostar Gold Corporation is re-examining well-known properties in Mexico, using modern exploration knowledge and tools to access the riches that others only dreamed of. Eurostar has announced positive drilling results on all three of its Mexican gold properties in 2012. Drilling continues at the flagship El Antimonio property, where over 60% of Phase 1 drill holes have returned significant gold mineralization over wide intervals. Through its aggressive exploration strategy, experienced leadership and loyal shareholder base, Euristar is poised to give new life to valuable gold resources. Visit www.euristargold.com for more information. Want to know more
0: about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters
1: voice america business network the bottom line in business
0: you're listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm here again with Congressman Ron Paul. Ron, before the break, uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, Ed Griffin's uh, views of the Federal Reserve and how the Federal Reserve essentially, you know, based on their stated goals, have been a total failure. They were supposed to have sort of, you know, low unemployment, be able to manipulate the money supply to keep inflation low and to keep unemployment at full, full levels. Clearly, you know, we're, we're running up against 10% unemployment now. Um, you know, inflation has been very, very high over the years. The dollars eroded in its purchasing power very, very significantly since the Federal Reserve came into being. Would you agree with Ed that, in fact, uh, the Federal Reserve has been a failure? I mean, setting aside constitutional issues, which you've, you, you know, you've objected to the Fed on, the, on that basis, what about its, its practical implications? Has the Fed Been a success uh, in its stated objectives, uh, I think you would answer no. But then uh, what about its unstated objectives? I mean, would you care to comment on that?
7: I guess uh, it depends on when you ask this question. Uh, If we'd have asked this question, you know, 10 years ago, I I consider this problem that we're dealing with now the immediate problem, starting with the break of the NASDAQ, and uh, we really haven't had any real growth since then.
3: You're talking about 2,000, when the NASDAQ was at 5,000 and it slipped down to about 1,000.
7: And never recovered. And never recovered. But I, you know, at that point, you know, they had the recessions coming and going, and there seemed to be a lot of wealth in the country. And they say, "Well, see, we achieved our objectives. Unemployment is low, and people are wealthy, and we all have fancy televisions, all that." But I would say that would be an illusion, and it wasn't. It was almost in spite of the Fed because it was deceit in the sense that people were willing to loan us money. We became, as a consumer nation, we went into debt, but then those of us who understood Austrian economics knew that it was an illusion. It was all based on debt, and it was all based on on a financial bubble. So I would consider them uh, completely uh, a, a complete failure, mm-hmm. that uh, if it appeared that they were successful for a while, even this whole idea of the lender of last resort and all it's proven that they, that they just can't do, I mean they are the source of a great deal of evil. I mean not only financial but political evil. Just think of all the things politicians have been encouraged to do because they knew the Fed would back them up. You know whether it's uh, fighting wars overseas or welfare system runaway here at home. All the things that we do encourages big government and that's the undermining of liberty. So. I consider that uh, those individuals who understand it and when other people wake up and realize what's really happened is that our freedoms have been undermined, you can lay a lot of the blame uh, at the door of the Federal Reserve System for this. Well, Ed
3: Griffin suggests that, in fact, uh, the unstated goals of the Federal Reserve, and I'm not sure if you can comment on that if they're not stated, but... The unstated goals of the Federal Reserve were essentially to bail out the bankers. We know that in 1907, J.P. Morgan bailed out the banking system, didn't like to do that very much, and really wanted to socialize the risks of the banking industry. Um, and, and so from that perspective, uh, Griffin believes that the Fed has been a tremendous success. Well, certainly we're seeing the taxpayer getting hit really hard, and only not, not only now, but far more in the future, to pay for these trillions of dollars that are being created out of nothing, to uh, to bail out the system. So, do you have any comments on on the Fed?
7: Yeah, well, I have a little more trouble uh, guessing all their motives. Yeah, and especially since it's over a long period of time. You yeah. know, uh, it the uh, Fed uh, it came into existence in 1913. The evolution from 1913 up to 71 was not, you know. Uh, all of a sudden, it was gradual. They'd change reserves. They would go to Bretton Woods, and then that would break down. So uh, I I don't know, even if those were the unintended goals stated in 1913, mm-hmm. most of them weren't around to find out whether it was going to work or not. But I, I see it more based on... Uh, uh, bad ideas. I, I think there's a a lot of people who are well-intended, but there's a lot of people also that want to bail out, you know, and believing. And then they rationalize and say, yeah, we've got to be taken care of. Why do we pass all this stuff in Washington? And uh, do the liberals always preach that you want to take care of rich bankers on Wall Street? And, and all? No, they don't preach that at all. Yeah. But all of a sudden they... They say, well, you know, the little guy's going to be hurt too. We yeah. have to keep the system together. So, I I think uh, the greatest uh, harm has been uh, just people who have really misunderstanding uh, of how this works, and that just invites people who will manipulate the system and and, benef- and, and to their benefit.
3: Not necessarily evil intent, but just a misunderstanding to a great extent. I think I would be, I think I would agree with that because I certainly know a lot of people on Wall Street who are, who are not bad people per se. They definitely believe that this is the right policy and it's for the good of the nation. If my neighbor's house is for sale and nobody buys it, why if, you know, he can't, he can't uh, finance the mortgage then it's better if the government socializes it so that my house values don't well,
7: jay i bet you you've run into people who've been in banking business i know i have if you talk to them about monetary policy and and the federal reserve and the financial system they hardly know anything about it, but they're technicians, you know, they know how to take deposits and shift things around, but they're really not much into uh, how fraction reserve banking is uh, undermining the system at all. They're just very good technicians rather than, than understanding how, how international banking really works. Right. I'd like
3: to switch a little bit to uh, more investor-related questions, you know. As, as one who picks stocks and tries to do well for my own family and for my subscribers to my newsletter, one of the main concerns I have is whether our system is inflating or deflating. We've seen uh, quite a bit of deflation in the financial assets, I mean a lot of deflation in the financial assets with the Dow below half of where it was at its peak. At a dinner in San Francisco back in November 2007, I recall asking both you and Mark Faber whether we might get another Paul Volcker at the Fed as we had in 1980. I mean, that's when the system was still inflating back there in, in 2007. Volcker slowed the money supply drastically uh, such that my first mortgage back in 1981 was a 17.5% mortgage. Both Mark and you thought that that was politically impossible, that we weren't going to see another Paul Volcker rise uh, anytime soon. So do you still... The rising levels of inflation as inevitable at this stage or is it possible that the deflationary forces may be so strong that they simply cannot be overcome by for quite a while until a massive amounts of debt is written off of the books as in fact happened in the 1930s you know we went from 1929 until World War II essentially in a depression and I would argue that it, that the World War II maybe you know some people argue that was the effective stimulus that caused us to grow again but I would argue that the main thing that took place during that time was that Massive amounts of debt was worked off the books, and that made it possible for regrowth of the economy. Uh, what are your thoughts? Are, are we yeah. destined yeah, to have I, I, a lot of inflation? Um, and if so, how soon might we see that?
7: Yeah, I think conditions are a lot different. I think you're right that debt was liquidated during the war, but after the war they cut spending by two-thirds and taxes by one-third, so that had a lot to do with it too. But the liquidation debt was important. I think the uh, reason why we have this uh, continuous uh, debate is uh, even within our own camp we have different perceptions of what we're talking about when we talk about inflation or deflation and I take a very strict definition of it and I just look to the money supply and uh, the consumer price index sometimes goes up sometimes goes down uh, with inflation during the 20s uh, and there was no price inflation but there was a lot of inflation because the money supply was going up and there was a, a distortion but uh, now I don't think I don't think too many people who are believers in inflation are too shocked or are surprised to see tremendous amount of liquidation of debt, which to some people they call that deflation. Mm-hmm. But, uh, um, now if, if, if Bernanke had not really, really pumped, uh, and just allowed bankruptcies to occur, uh, then, then, the money supply might have shrunk, which it did yeah, yeah. you know to a degree in the depression, but the money supply is not shrinking. Uh, but people are feeling less rich. Uh, their wealth has been been shrinking, but they weren't all that wealthy to begin with. So I would say we have inflation. In in uh, soon, prices will start rising. Prices are rising in medical care and food right now. So I expect inflation to continue. But but there certainly is deflation of value in the financial instruments.
3: Do you see a a danger of hyperinflation? Could things get so out of hand that we have a, a German Weimar Republic situation
7: on our hands? I keep thinking that we're not that stupid and that we just print out, print money. But right now, I think the more unemployment there is, there will never cut unemployment checks. We have a vehicle today, which we didn't have in the thirties to pass out money. Mm. Uh, and that is, uh, you know, through social security and pay for the medical care and unemployment benefits. Uh, they, they didn't, they couldn't quite do it like that in the thirties. But right now, they will not hesitate for a minute, uh, to not pass out money. Uh, Bernanke said he'd use helicopters but of course that's a cliche in a way it, it will be passed out so that's why I, I expect uh, the value of the dollar to go down it's, as long as you see the money supply growing uh, the value has to go down and right now it's it's sort of the uh, velocity of money or the propensity for people to spend the money. People are reluctant. Uh, even wealthy people who have a lot of money in the bank, they say, I don't know what's going to happen next year, so I'm not going to spend my money. So okay. once that attitude changes, and that's a psychological point, and that is what you can't predict. You think as, that, but that will come as long as you keep printing the money. So, so do you think if,
3: if they uh, hand out money, say, to the lower-income groups, the middle-income people, that they will spend that money, if there's transfer checks sent out to the masses, that that is a way they could kick start things and get things to to move again
7: yeah you know, well, maybe in a negative sense yeah. because uh, if they have if they pass out enough money and, and people have to live, what 'll we'll do if if they have to have housing and they have to have energy and they have to have food uh, it 's just going to push prices up that 's when I think you will get more uh, moving in a, in the direction of uh, the Zimbabwe situation where Prices are going up in the midst of a recession or depression, so you can have inflationary depression. Yeah. So if we continue on this course, that's what I would expect—an uh, inflationary depression. Right now, we're—I don't—we uh, don't have true deflation, although like we see, we see prices going down in stocks and people feel less wealthy, but there's still a lot of money out there.
0: Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters.